And before we uh, look at the Bible together, um, I wanted to make one. It's not really an announcement. It's an invitation. Um, part of the way that guys are wired is, uh, is different, obviously, than the way girls are wired. We find that um, men don't usually build relationships by sitting down and having a cup of tea uh, over a table. Um, men have to be like doing something, and in doing something, we connect, you know, like going golfing or, or whatever. And, um, and there's a trip coming up that I just want to invite you guys to come on and, and just uh, enjoy each other and, and see what kind of fellowship uh, comes out of it. And that's a fishing trip coming up with um, Daly's heading it up. It's a chartered boat. I think we can have 24 or so uh, on the boat. We're fishing for, Mike, where are you? We're fishing for stripers and halibut, right? But you said we can catch sharks too. So I'm thinking, you know, hooking a great white. And um, I'm, I know Dan Overby's taking his son, and I'm thinking about taking my son. It's uh, it really teenage years would be good because they're on a boat in the bay. I've been told we're not going outside the mouth of the bay, um, which is good for people like me who get seasick. So if you want to come and have a good time, um, it's a good way of connecting. And man, just catch a tiger shark, catch a halibut. So anyway, you'll get, the, you'll get salt breeze in your face. You'll spill like fish, you know, good man stuff, which I know you ladies can't connect with, but that's why you're ladies and we're men. So um, Mike Daly will be out front um, between services, and if you want to ask questions, what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, how long it's going to be, um, then just talk with him. That's coming up. That's in your bulletin. And um, and by the way, guys, your money is due if you're going to go this this uh, today. So, um, and if if you don't have the money right now, talk to Mike and see if you can get a rain check or extension. So, uh, with that said, that invitation. Um, let me pray. Father, we um, just came out of a time of singing your praise and blessing you for who you are. And, and that, of course, is the, the, what worship is, is to bless you as our God and Father, um, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, um, who has blessed us. You have blessed us uh, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as you have chosen us, um, chosen us um, to be your sons and daughters, adopted us so that we might declare your praise. And, and it's nothing in us that caused you to choose. It's just simply because of your great, sovereign, and gracious love. And so, Lord, we just cry out to you now as we open your word. Um, we ask that you would incline your ear to us and hear our prayer, O oh Lord, that you would um, teach us your way that we might walk in your truth. Um, unite our hearts to fear your great name because you're so awesome in all, of the, all that you are, in, in your love and your mercy and your grace and your power. And so just open our souls, open the windows of heaven, let your word just fall upon us by the power of your Holy Spirit and change us. Allow us as a heart of worship as we're listening and engaging with your word. And I pray this in the name of Jesus and for the sake of my brothers and sisters who have gathered here as a family. Amen. I'm just going to jump right into it this morning. Um, I am going to be really, we're going to be looking at one word this morning. Just going to focus on one word that, that occurs a couple of times, actually um, four times in the first three chapters of Ephesians. And sometimes some of the best fruit comes from stopping, stop reading a bunch of words and phrases and sentences and paragraphs and books and just to focus on one single word and looking at it in its context, like the context of the book of Ephesians, and then looking at it in the context of the entire Bible. Because I, I find that sometimes you're just focusing on what one word means, especially an important word like the one we're going to look at this morning, 
brings with it uh, such a sense of fruit. Well, the word that we're going to explore and, and understand hopefully better this morning is, is the word mystery. As I said, it, it, it comes uh, to light a couple of key points, add a couple of key points in Ephesians 1 through 3. And in the biblical language, a mystery is something that is hidden, something that is unknown and unknowable by human inquiry or discovery. It's something that has to be revealed. And there is this mystery that is talked about um, throughout these three chapters. But it's a mystery that was once hidden that has now been revealed. It reminds me a little bit of that game show, um, Let's Make a Deal, Monty Hall, in which a contestant's asked to choose between one of three doors. And, of course, the contestant doesn't know what's behind the door because it's hidden. It's veiled. You know, they say door number one, if that's the choice, sometimes it's a, it's a vacation to Maui or it could be a set of Ginsu knives or a hibachi oven. Um, but it's hidden, and that's the point, is, is there is a hiddenness, a mystery to God's plan. And as I said, that's brought out at a number of key points here in Ephesians, and I want to look at them with you and then consider what this word means to us. Um, mystery. The first place that it... That it it comes out in Paul's language and in his writing is found here in chapter 1. And I'm going to back up and read from verse 7. Um, in him that is in Christ, continuing what he's talking about, unfolding this great plan of redemption. In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now what's to be noted in these verses and the first occurrence of this word mystery is that it is tied to the plan of God. So you have making known to us the mystery and then that mystery is unfolded as a plan in verse 10. And it's also tied to the concept of time that the mystery which was hidden would be unveiled or the door would be lifted up so that you could see what was behind it in the fullness of time. That's what it says, a, as a plan for the fullness of time. In other words, what was once hidden, God determined at this point, I'm going to lift the veil and show them what they couldn't see. The next place that it occurs is in chapter 3, where it says this, when you read this, Note the word read. You can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations that has now been revealed to his holy apostles, Paul being one of them who wrote this, um, and prophets by the Spirit. And he talks about reading. When you read this, that tells us that I believe he's talking about the subject of what he just wrote in chapters 1 and 2 of, of Ephesians, that it's it's unfolding this mystery. He calls it the mystery of Christ. So when you read, read this, the former chapters, you can perceive my insight into the mystery. That's what he's writing about, is the mystery of Christ. And again, it's tied to a sense of time, that it was hidden, not made known to the sons of other generations. They couldn't see it. But then at a particular time, it's unveiled. It's the door is lifted, door number one. That's the second time. So it's, again... There was a time in which people couldn't see it, and then a time in which they could. And then the third place is here in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, 
where we read, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring light for ev- to bring to light for everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God? He sees this as his mission. This is his specific mission, his call, is to bring to light for everyone. One of the reasons why he wrote this book is to bring to light for everyone what is the mysterious plan, the plan of the mystery that was hidden for ages in God, but now has been unveiled. So the idea here is is that There is, in this great plan of the universe, of the world, of human history, there is a sense of of mystery to it that God has intentionally hidden things at one point and then revealed them at a different point. So for generations, perhaps hundreds of generations, people couldn't see something that all of a sudden God said, okay, door number three, rise, and then the people of God now can see what they couldn't see before. Now the question that, that, that... I wrestled with when I was thinking about contemplating this whole idea of mystery because that's how he describes the plan. It's a plan of the mystery. Is why would God hide something from some generations and then reveal it to the others? This God who hides and then reveals. Why? Why would God keep generations eyes closed, and the veils shut, and the door down on something so marvelous and so wonderful. Why not just give it all up front and just show at the very first generation, this is what's going to happen. Give the full blueprint, you know, some kind of a big DVD that says this is what's coming. Why does he hide and reveal later? That's the question that I wrestled with. I mean, on a purely human level, none of us likes to be kept in the dark. A young couple takes their little five, six-year-old daughter to the hospital, find out that she has leukemia, and now they're facing an unknown future, a mystery, a very difficult place to be, in limbo, not knowing the future. It would be really nice if God would break through the veil of the future, which is hidden from us, and say, hey, everything's going to be okay, but for the most part, he doesn't. Why does he hide things? You know, you send your, your, uh, your graduating senior off to Chico State, and you're just hoping that they're going to do well. They're not going to be found smoking weed in the bathroom and, you know, and missing all their classes and walking down the wrong path. I mean, you'd like to be assured that, hey, that's never going to happen to my kid, but you know what? You don't know the future. It'd be really nice for God to break in through that veil that separates present from future and say, hey, everything's going to be okay. Your son or daughter is going to do fine. They're going to trust in me, and they're going to end up in the kingdom of God. That'd be wonderful, but he doesn't give us that. It's a hidden. It's a mystery. You know, some, I meet people who are working on their marriages, difficult challenges, and, and one of the things, questions that people wrestle with, is it ever going to get better? Is all of this work that we're putting into our marriage and being true to the I do's that we said, till death do us part, is there ever going to be a time when we don't struggle? And is it going to be okay? We like God to say, hey, everything's going to be okay. You know, after 10 years, your marriage is going to be so sweet, it's not going to have any problems. We'd love him to say that. That would bring a tremendous amount of comfort, but for the most part, he doesn't. Because we don't know the future. None of us likes to be kept in the dark. So, on the bigger level, why, why did God keep things hidden? Only to reveal them later. It's a, it's a, it's a, to me, it's a real important question. Why would he do that? And I think the answer to that 
question brings with it a, a, a real lesson, an insight for life, a perspective on who God is. So that's kind of the question this morning is, is why does God hide things only to reveal them later? But I want to get to the answer to that through two other questions. One question is, okay, before we understand why God hides things, what exactly is the mystery? What is the mystery that he's talking about here? The thing that was hidden for ages and now revealed. Now, on a broader level, a broad level, Paul speaks of mystery in his different books in varied ways. So there's uh, all of it centering on Christ, but there are different aspects of the mystery that he brings out. For example, the mystery bound up with marriage. The marriage really is about the mystery of Christ and his church. That's Ephesians chapter 5, where he talks about the mystery of Christ in you. That's Colossians chapter 1. Um, but here, to be more specific, the mystery that he is talking about that was hidden for a long time, the men couldn't discover for themselves, it had to be revealed, God had to open the veil, is the mystery of inclusion. Namely, that we, the non-Jewish nations, were included into the family. That's the sense here, and it's explicit in verse 6 of chapter 3, where he says, this mystery is that, now here is the mystery itself, that the Gentiles, you, me, non-Jewish people, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The inclusion is full inclusion. Full-fledged family members. In other words, the idea is not that God had taken us in as foster children although that would have been a gracious gift itself, but as full sons and daughters with all of the blessings that the natural son or daughters would receive, full-fledged. That's what we get at when he says um, Gentiles are fellow heirs. Heirs typically are family members, has the idea of son or daughter. Heir receives the inheritance so we are now heirs of this great inheritance that the Old Testament talks about, that we are part of or members of the same exact body. There's no longer two people. There's one. And that we are partakers now of the promise. Paul says elsewhere that all the promises that God made to his people are yes in Christ. So now we are full-fledged family members. Now, in one sense, you could say or ask the question, well, the, the people in the Old Testament knew that. I mean, you could read things like uh, Genesis chapter 12, where God comes to Abraham and he says, hey, I'm going to bless you, and through you and your seed, the nations will be blessed. So there was a sense in which God would bless the nations through the people of Israel. Uh, you could, Psalm 86, where David says that all the nations that you have made shall come and worship before you and Glorify your name. So he understood that there would be at some point the nations surrounding Israel would come and they'd bow before God so there would be an impact. So, so what's the mystery of inclusion? Well, what wasn't revealed in the past that now has been revealed is that the Gentile is just as much a part of the family as the Jew. Full inclusion. One family, partakers of the promises of Abraham. 
That's why I think as a Christian, we can read the Psalms as our Psalms. Because we're part of the family. That we can look at our Old Testament history, not as their history, but as our history, our spiritual heritage, because we're part of the family. Which is why we can call Abraham our father. Because by faith we have become his children and recipients of his promise or the promise given to him. Full-fledged family members. They didn't see that coming. But that's who we are. And that's the mystery. Full inclusion. And that's, that, that's, that's who we are. Now, again, if you think back to who we were last two weeks, that should and it would have in that day shocked them. Nobody would have seen it coming. I mean, we had so many strikes against us. We have strike one, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That excludes us. Strike two, we were Gentiles, separated, alienated, and strangers. That's strike two. And I'm sure there's a strike three there somewhere. Maybe we live in Fairfield? <laughs> I don't really mean that. I, you know, I, we're here because our town needs light. And I'm, I love my town. Um, we're here for a purpose of of bringing to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages but is revealed in Christ. But that's, that's, that's how it should, so we're fully included. We're family. This is our history. This is our book. Can you imagine being perfectly surprised by, 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 by a magnificent gift? I mean, we're not talking about Christmas time or birthday time, and we kind of anticipate that we're going to give gifts at Christmas time or, or when a birthday comes or Father's Day, hint, hint. Uh, even if it's, even if it's a, you know, just a piece of meat on a barbecue, lightly seasoned, medium rare to perfection. I mean, that is something that's wonderful. But that's the kind of thing that's, um, you know, you kind of anticipate. But imagine someone coming um, out of nowhere, let's say in January, which tends to be my darkest month after Christmas, you know, and someone walks up to your door and, and knocks and you answer it, and out in front of your yard is this brand new car, and on it is a big, huge bow, and they hold up the keys and say, here, just because. Just because. You'd be like, what? You wouldn't believe it for one. You're like, what's the catch? What do I got to do? You need me to pay you something for it? Do you want me to come work for you? What do you want? You'd be totally blown away, though, if it was real. But see, that's the reality, is that, is that God the Father, in, and through our Lord Jesus Christ, came knocking on the door of strangers and aliens, people who were cut off and excluded on the outside, and he held up the keys and he said, Welcome to the new world. This is my kingdom. You can't pay me for it. You can't work for it. I have done everything necessary for you to have it. All you have to do is humbly trust and take the keys. That's, he did that to us to make us full family members alongside the Jewish people who were chosen from the beginning. So that the point, though, is that the mystery is, in answer to the first question, the mystery is that we are fully included, which is such a blessed place to be when we get our hearts and minds around that and know that's who I am. But understand that behind the veiled door, this is kind of the broad point, behind the veiled door, what was hidden was something of a measurable wonder. And when God hides things for his people, when he reveals them, it's amazing. That's what's behind the door. Door number three, open and 
in Christ, all of this stuff comes out. It's amazing. So what is the mystery? It's full inclusion, you and me. Um, Second question, why did God reveal the mystery? This isn't a question of content, like what was behind the door number one, but why did he open it? This is a question of motive. Again, why did God um, open the door, pull back the veil to let us see what he calls the immeasurable uh, riches of his grace for us in Jesus Christ? I think the simple answer to that is what moved God to do, pull back the veil so that we could see, is the gracious character of his sovereign love. It was love and grace that not only is it behind what's veiling, but it is what opened the door and parted the veil to begin with. And that's bringing it back to chapter 1. What comes out, if you look at the structure of how he lays out what he says, it's pretty clear that it's grounded in the richness of his love. That we read in him, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. Now notice that it's according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished, and part of the riches and the grace that he lavishes is making it known. So the very fact that he opens the door, parts the curtains, so that we can see the mystery of the fact that God himself became flesh and he lived for us and he died for us and he lives in us and we in him. That very opening, that revealing is, is moved by God's heart of grace. That's who he is. He didn't do it because he had to. And that's the implication. Grace is never something that you can earn. That's by definition. So that means that we didn't deserve to have the blinds opened. We deserve to be left in the dark. He didn't have to reveal his plan to us. He chose to because that's who he is. He is good and he is gracious. He wanted to. So it's out of the riches of his grace lavished on us that he makes it known. And that has been the case all the way through the whole history of the Bible. I mean, the entire history of the Bible um, is a whole series of, and I'm going to borrow the title of a book, is itself an unfolding mystery. And at each point, God reveals things and takes them to the next step. So he comes to Adam in Genesis chapter 3 when he and his wife were cowering and trembling in, in shame, expecting death and wrath, and God comes and he says, and this is my paraphrase, a son's going to come from you who will crush the head of the serpent. In that moment, a door was opened. It's not death, but he says, a deliverer is going to come. And, you know, Adam and Eve, I, don't, I wasn't there and it doesn't say, but it, I would imagine they go, wow, that was gracious. It was a gracious revelation, and they walk through that door. And then God comes to Abraham, and, and there's another door, door number two. And, 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 and God says, Abraham, guess what? And then he parts the curtains and he says, again, my paraphrase, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to bless the nations through you. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. I will be a God to your people and they will, and, and, and they will be my people. I will be their God. And I will take them into a land of rest, a land of peace flowing with milk and honey. And the door opens and, and of course, Abraham's like, wow, this is an amazing display of grace. You've just opened the 
the curtain and more grace is, is seen. Your love is amazing. And so they walk through it. God comes to David and he says, there's a door, there's a, there's a, there's, there's a, a, a veil. And he says, David, guess what I'm going to do for you? And then he promises, again, my paraphrase, he says, I am going to make sure that one of your descendants is on the throne, rules over the earth forever. The Jewish people are like, wow, that's amazing. The door has been opened. The revelation has taken place. This is what God's going to do. And they enter through it. And then we come to the door of doors. The revelation that makes all other revelations real and possible. And that is Christ. In him are all the mysteries of God's goodness, grace, and love. So that in him we have God come in the flesh. God living for us. God dying for us. God indwelling us. And we in him, the people of God go, that is amazing that you would open that door for us. And we still, of course, wait the final unveiling, the the, the restoration of all things, the new creation and the coming of Christ. But I guarantee you, it stretches beyond the grasp of the unimaginable, what it's going to be. Apostle John says, we're not sure exactly what it's going to be like, but boy, is it going to be awesome. God always blows the doors off people when he opens curtains, when he opens doors. It's not just a vacation to Maui or or the Ginsu Knives. It's immeasurable. Each successive door is lifted by grace and shows us something of immeasurable, amazing worth. That's... That's why he did it, because he's gracious. That's where he's taken us. But behind each curtain and each part is more and more experience of God's gracious, undeserved, unmerited love. So that, and I'm going to borrow the words of Paul himself, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable or greatness of his grace to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's his He's going to blow the doors off of us. That's his whole purpose of the plan, and he's done it successively. It's almost as if God says, check this out. And he pulls back the curtain, and we're like, oh. And he goes, wait, there's more. There's another curtain, and he says, opens it. And we're like, oh, that's even better. And he's like, wait, there's more. And then there's another curtain, and, and God opens it. And we're like, wow, that's amazing. And he's, wait, there's more. And I think eternity is just that. It's wait, there's more. Wait, there's more. All of it comes to us in Jesus. That's, that's why Paul just erupts with, blessed be the God and Father. He's so taken up with the amazingness of God revealing these mysteries that we don't deserve. So that brings us to the question. Okay, so, so the mystery itself is inclusion. We've been fully included by grace. And what drove God, if we may use the word drove, um, God to do it is nothing less than the gracious character of his love. He wanted to and he chose to, not because of anything in us, but everything in him. So then, okay, back to the question, why did he hide those things? If it's so amazing, why not just open the curtain at once? Why not just blow the doors off of everybody? Just big, huge IMAX screen. Boom, there it is. Now, one can answer this question in a number of ways. You could say, well, because um, the human mind is just too weak to take all that in at one time. Or maybe God stretched it over generations and ages um, to show the interdependence of the generations to understand the bigness of the plan, perhaps, would be another way of saying it. 
I, I think when it comes right down to it, though, the answer as to why God hides things and then chooses to reveal them in his time is so that God is God. And we learn to trust him at each stage with the mysteries and with what's hidden. That is to say, God hides things to teach us that he's in charge and that we can trust him. When he opens the veil and we're like, wow, okay. I mean, one of the things that comes out in this book, of course, is the amazing grace of of God and the amazing love of God and the richness of his mercy, but also really strong in this book is the fact that God, who loves us and is gracious, is a sovereign God which is why you read over and over again that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world or we were predestined as, or for adoption as sons or that he works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things which includes when the curtains come up, when the mysteries are revealed because he is in charge. He does it according to his own sovereign timing. And he does not bow to the wishes, will, or the impatience of men who want the answers now. Which is what most of us want. We're impatient. We want to know the answer behind the why or what's next or is this going to work. And in essence, he says, listen, I'm in charge still. I love you and I am gracious. But you need to trust me. You need to trust me. Just as Abraham trusted me when I said, hey, I'm going to take you to a foreign land. And and Abraham didn't say why and where and what does it look like? He trusted that behind the veil of the where and the why that God was good. And he went, simply trusting. And that, I think, is is a huge and deep and profound lesson of life. A lesson that needs to be burned into our brain, into our heart, needs to be rehearsed and known and recited and reminding ourselves of every single day that God is God, he is a sovereign God, but I can trust him because he's loving. So that what God's interested in in these different stages is do we trust him that he is good? Do we trust him that he is God and he is the one who's in charge? You know, he's the shepherd, we're the sheep. And we need to trust that when he takes us through the valley of the shadow of death and we don't know what's on the other side, that we trust that on the other side there is this table that's prepared for us in the presence of our enemies where he will anoint our head with oil and he will fill our cup and then ultimately bring us into the house of the Lord where we will dwell forever. So we trust that whatever's behind the hidden is is good. And we trust him with that. I mean, that's kind of how I I took this. And answering the question, well, God, why did you do that? And I think in ages past, looking at it from a big scope, it's because he's still God. It's his timing. His plan um, unfolds according to his timetable. And he simply asks his people, trust me. I am going to rock your world by the time we get to the end. Just trust me. And the fact of the matter is, if if that's how it works in the big plan, that God hides things and then reveals things in his love because he wants us to trust him and let him be God in our lives, then it stands to reason that we can also, I think, apply this on a very personal level to the smaller stories of our lives. Because we all have mysteries in front of us, um, the biggest one, of course, being our futures. I mean, right now, we 
walk into a future that's unknown. Unknown as a country, financially, politically, personally. You know, you don't know. We don't know that the doctor's going to come back and say, hey, the cancer's going to be in remission. You just don't know that yet. Or that your son or daughter's going to be saved. We simply don't know that. That's hidden. It's still in the, behind the veil, behind the door. And the, really the question that all of us face is, okay, God, you're in charge. And you don't need to answer my questions. You don't have to. You don't have to tell me things are going to be okay in the short term. But I, I need to trust you. Because that's what you're saying, to trust me with the hidden things. And trust me that I'm always good. And ultimately taking you to a place you can't even imagine. That, that I believe, is a, is a pretty potent lesson because all of us struggle with whys and what's going to happen. And we grow anxious. And, and God's right there, his voice, screaming through the Bible. Trust me, I'm a sovereign and good and loving and gracious God. Trust me, I have it covered. Trust me with the hidden things, with the unknowns of your future. What's going to happen with your house? What's going to happen with your kids? What's going to happen with your marriage? Trust me with it. And follow me. I'll tell you what, that's easier to say than it is to live. But God, in his grace, is taking us to believe it. Mother's Day. Was it April 23rd? May 23rd. Is that right? I'm way off. May 23rd. I don't know, I forgot the date because it's a repressed memory. <laughs> Mother's Day. Um, we took Deanna out. This this year. Took Deanna out and um, wanted to uh, lavish her with love. So we took her to a champagne brunch. And uh, the kids gave her gifts. And, and she felt loved. And, and then later on in the evening, I, I made dinner for her. Fresh off the barbecue, she let me buy the meat. It's kind of Father's Day, Mother's Day mixed together. <laughs> and um, we fed the kids earlier, so it was just her and I, and we sat down at the table, and the, the meat was hot, and everything was there. And uh, we started to talk, and, and Deanna said, shh. And um, upstairs, you could hear a combination, a weird mixing of choking and, and coughing. And two of our kids have struggled with croup from time to time, and so I just thought, oh, that's another bout of croup. So Deanna ran up the stairs, and Anna, she says, damn! And I just know the way she said it. It's like, we're in serious turmoil here. Something's going wrong. And I run upstairs, and my youngest son is um, terrified as he's gasping for breath. Like, he just can't get enough air. As a kid, I remember I was almost suffocated by a family member, and I just immediately, my old fears, I look at him, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm holding him. We go through the normal steps of trying to get cold air and so forth. We have his inhaler and give him some um, albuterol, and, and it's just not, he can't get it into him. I can, I'm holding him on my knee, and I can feel his little rib cage just collapsing as he's trying to get breath, and he's so panicked. He's kicking and flailing. He just can't get a breath of air. And I've never in my life been so, so scared or so afraid. Because I'm thinking, what happens if this thing closes? You know, we fortunately, we, uh, fortunately, as a work of good providence, we have a nurse that lives across the street, and she comes over. She says, you need to get him to the hospital or 
call 911. I, in hindsight, I should have just called the ambulance. But, you know, being a dad, like, it's going to take too long to get here. We get in the car, we speed. I sped. No apologies there. I sped to the hospital. And, um, but here's the thing. That drive to the hospital was the longest drive I've ever had in silence. We didn't speak. All you could hear was every gasp for breath. Because this is way beyond croup. Some kind of an asthmatic attack. I'm not sure. We're still trying to figure it out. Took him to a specialist this last week. And, and um, I'm driving. And I'm just thinking to myself, what, what, what happens if he stops breathing? That's the question going on in my mind over and over. What am I going to do if he stops breathing? And right there in that moment, in that really long drive, you know, it's like God said to me, he said, do you trust me with the life of your son? This is when truth gets into the gristle of, of life because it's easy to say things, but when you're put on the spot, when something you love so much is, is in peril. It's, it's what was asked of the couple that came up here this morning, do you relinquish all worldly claims on your child? It's one thing to say that before a congregation. It's another thing to say that when your child's about to die. Do you really trust me with the unknown future? I didn't know what was going to happen. It scared me. What's going to happen in the next 5, 10, 15 minutes? And in those times, there's only one, one thing the Lord asks. Are you going to trust me with this? However it goes, good, not so good. Do you trust me with the hidden things of life? With the most precious things of life? And God in his grace is working in each of our hearts to say, Even if in the middle of tears and broken heart, there is a yes. I trust you with the hidden things of life. Because I know how you've worked in the past. And I know every time you've pulled back the veil, it's always been amazing. So I trust you. That we can trust him with the hidden things of life. With the mysteries. Because that's how he's worked in Ephesians that's how he's worked in the big picture. I believe he works that way in the small picture too. So I wonder this morning, what, what, what is it that's the big unknown in your life that you find yourself fretting and worrying over? The mystery. And do you hear the Lord? That's the central point of this message. Do you hear the Lord saying, listen, I am sovereign in your life. I do control things. But all of those hidden things, those mysteries that you worry about, do you trust me with them? because I guarantee I can handle them. And on the other side of the valley of the shadow of death is my house, and you will dwell with me forever. I hope you hear what God says to you this morning. Trust him. Trust him with the hidden things in the mystery of life. Father, I pray that you would make that a reality, not just words, but I would... I know that there are some in here who face things that are difficult, and they're worried and anxious about the future. Things hidden, not revealed. And you have not broken in and said, hey, it's all going to turn out just fine. You're going to keep the house. Your kids are going to be fine. Your health is going to be fine. But you do tell us to trust you. So I just pray that those in that position, oh God, would, would hear your voice speaking to them and that your grace would give the strength to trust. 
in your sovereign love and grace with the hidden things, the mystery of life. In Jesus' name I pray.